Welcome to KiteLine, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in the prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on KiteLine, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before starting with this week's theme, we wanted to share some prison-related news and announcements. We start off this episode with our monthly roundup of prison disturbances, as compiled by Perilous Chronicle. Four juveniles damaged furniture and other items at the Donald R. Cunn Detention Center in Julian, West Virginia, on January 7th. West Virginia State Police, Boone County Sheriff, and Madison Police Department all responded to the incident. No arrests were made. On January 13th, five prisoners escaped from USP Thompson in Thompson, Illinois. According to the union representative staff at the facility, the escapes were due to staff vacating posts. The details of the escape were not released, but all five prisoners were recaptured on January 15th. On January 17th, five prisoners escaped from the St. Francis Detention Center in Farmington, Missouri. According to reports, the prisoners gained access to a secured cell and crawled through a plumbing chase to the roof of the facility. They stole a vehicle near the facility and fled. All five prisoners were recaptured. The last arrest was on January 20th. Four prisoners were recaptured in Butler County, Ohio. One was recaptured in Poplar Bluff, Missouri. A riot on January 21st at the Everglades Youth Academy, a Florida Department of Juvenile Justice facility, resulted in 10 arrests and one staff member hospitalized. An unknown number of juveniles between the ages of 13 and 21 from two different pods were reportedly rioting and fighting staff, causing damage by throwing desks and chairs and tearing down the cameras and light fixtures. Okeechobee County Police reportedly used chemical weapons on minors in order to regain control of the facility and make arrests. On Thursday, January 26th, two prisoners escaped from the Southwest Virginia Regional Jail in Abington, Virginia. Details of how they broke free from the recreational yard have not been reported, but they allegedly stole a vehicle shortly after leaving the jail. Both prisoners were recaptured on Friday, January 27th, in a barn in Hawkins County, Tennessee. At least 70 prisoners, held in solitary confinement in Texas, began a hunger strike January 10th to coincide with the beginning of the Texas legislative session. Since then, between 24 and 50 prisoners are still participating in the strike. Texas's use of solitary confinement is one of the harshest in the country, with 3,141 people held in isolation as of November 2022. More than 500 of them had been in there for at least a decade. Texas State Representative Terry Meza has presented a series of bills in the Texas legislature that would severely limit the use of solitary confinement in the state. Brittany Robertson, an activist with Texas Prison Reform, describes the importance of the strike to KXAN in Austin. Quote, When you take somebody who is struggling to cope with life and you keep them isolated, you don't allow them outside, you don't allow them to feel a hug or to learn how to create something while being in such an isolated state, and then you let them out. What Texans need to know is that that lack of rehabilitation directly contributes to your crime. Unquote. On New Year's Eve, a group of prisoners in Unit No. 4 at the Prince Albert Correctional Center smashed windows, lit fires, and, quote, in general caused a lot of damage, according to an anonymous witness interviewed by PA Now. 
The incident follows a similar event almost exactly two years before at the facility, during which prisoners caused an estimated $500,000 in damage. Several prisoners are now facing charges for their participation in this year's uprising. For this episode, we share an interview with Mara Moro Vilpondo of La Resistencia, a project that organizes against the Northwest Detention Center. Once again, the prisoners within the detention center have been on hunger strike. And once again, Maru returns to the show to continue to shed light on these struggles. Thank you so much for being with us here again on KiteLine today, Maru. Could you just talk a little bit about the history of um, the organizing um, that's been done at the Northwest Detention Center in, in Tacoma um, and the work that La Resistencia has done? So organizing within the detention center has happened, I think, from very early on. It opened in 2004 and it kept uh, expanding uh, for some some years until it reached a maximum capacity of 2,000 people. When we came uh, to support the really only largest hunger strike we've ever seen with 1,200 people joining in March of 2014, we realized how wrong we were to think that organizing wasn't happening, but um, there were all prior that there were always um, reports of hunger strikes uh, already attempted. Since 2014 till today, I don't know, we lost count of how many hunger strikes have happened, but it's never really surprising when people call us and say they decided to take on such action because um, conditions just keep getting worse if that's even possible. And not only hunger strikes, there's been other types of actions like refusing to go back from the yard time into the pod or refusing to go back to the bunk beds. Um, people one time stage an SOS action where they spell SOS with their own bodies in the yard. So there's many different things people have done uh, to bring attention to their plight of uh, you know humane conditions at, at this uh, prison, uh, immigration prison. And so most recently, we have heard a lot of complaints, too many complaints. I mean, people warn us, they tell us, you know, we're going to have to do something because things here get get to a point where um, not only people are fed up, but um, last year, many of the, the ones that were in touch with also staged a hunger strike last May. And we're talking about mainly people that been there for years detained, also people that come from prison they, they finish their sentences, they serve their sen- sentence time, and now they're still again in, detained in prison for who knows how many years more if they decide to fight their cases. So the situations are, are terrible, but that doesn't stop the organizing within detention. Okay, wonderful. Thanks so much for that, for that history. And the latest action was a hunger strike. It was one of the, you'll have to correct me if I'm, if I'm wrong about this, but it was a rather large hunger strike, um, one of the largest in, in, in recent memory. Could you just talk a little bit about how the action started, what some of the demand and what some of the demands were? Yeah, so we heard uh, originally on Wednesday morning that two units were going on hunger strike together. That was at least 85 people. The unit that called us immediately was F3 saying something happened in F4, uh, we're doing their hunger strike. We saw how guards were um, taking property away from them. They were even removing chairs and microwaves and they the guards attempted to cover 
the windows from F3 units so they wouldn't be able to witness what was happening in F4. Um, then later we got a bunch of calls from, from that unit saying SWAT, a SWAT team stormed F4 unit. We're afraid they're going to do the same to us. And then we start getting calls from different units saying something happened. There's gas. We smell this pepper spray. We don't know what happened. People were freaking out. Just like we were freaking out. We didn't know what was going on. Um, later, what we learned is that um, originally an F4, which we had already heard a lot of complaints from that pod, is that they had an inspection and the guards started removing property and they protest that. And they signal F3 and F3 understood, okay, we're starting a hunger strike. So F3 started the hunger strike. F4 was just trying to even start a protest. Um, so they even had it started the hunger strike. Some had stopped eating, but they hadn't really called it the hunger strike yet because what they were trying to do is to stop Gio from taking their property. And they wanted ICE to come and talk to them about the conditions. And when Gio refused to do that, they say, well, you're not allowing our pod. Originally, there's always a guard assigned to each pod, and the guard that was assigned to that pod left on her own account. Nobody told her to leave. She voluntarily left. So when they tried to come back, the guy said, no, you're not coming in. They blocked the door. And ICE came, and they uh, the guys asked uh, to the ICE officers, are you here to, to talk about conditions? And they say no, and they're like, well, you're not coming in. <laughs> we want to talk about conditions. And that's when ICE ordered Geo to send the SWAT team. They came in about 30, some people say 40 guards dressed in, in riot gear. Uh, some people described that they were really scared when they saw them, not only the riot gear, but also with these helmets and shields and long weapons. And they, they I just cannot imagine how would you feel knowing you're in an enclosed space and being uh, cornered that way and that they uh, launched the three different canisters, different types of colors of gas, and they could feel the pepper spray, um, and they were not allowed to leave the, the pod immediately. They were taken by one by one, and they were taken to solitary confinement. They were not taken to medical. They were not given any change of clothes for the entire day until the next day. Um, we know that they were, uh, uh, one of them was accused of inciting a riot and having contraband, which was a, a, a hair comb with a uh, razor attached to it, which is very common in detention because that's what they used to cut their hair. And one of the demands that we have heard since the pandemic started is to get haircuts. So we're not surprised at all for that. Uh, and and um, the other guys were, uh, re and he received 45 days of solitary confinement for that. And the other guys received 20 to 25 days of solitary confinement. In total, we believe nine of them from that F4 unit are there. And so the F3 unit continue, the G4 unit that received most of the gas because they're above the F4 unit also joined the hunger strike. There were people literally fainting in F uh, in G4 because they received all the, ga the gases. Someone has had to be taken to urgent care. Oh, we also heard that somebody was attempting suicide uh, in F4 to stop the guards from coming in. Um, we don't know what happened with that person. Um, we heard that uh, the the fire department arrived, uh, taking people to the hospital. We have not been able to confirm anything anything after that. And 
we then heard from another unit, G3, that said, we're, un we're also joining the hunger strike. So at some point we had over 150 people joining the hunger strike. The, by Saturday morning, F3 unit received a visit from two ICE officers, Sylvie Randa and Kathleen Lawrence, that had breakfast with them. They, they sat at the table with them. They have this, you know, theater uh, to show that food was getting better. And they say, yeah, you know, they, they brought chicken. We hadn't had chicken in the longest time. And so they ate chicken and the portions were normal portions. People were really happy about it. I promised, you know, the sky and the stars. Uh, and they say, okay, we're going to end our hunger strike if this is really true. So um, the next day, G3 said, no, yeah, G3 said, okay, we're going to end our hunger strike. They didn't visit us yet, but if the guys in F3 are ending, then we're ending too to see whether this is true. We talked to G3 today and they've said, yes, ICE officers just visit us too. They also promise a lot of things. The promises were, and it was delivered on F3, 100% more portions. That's how they describe the food. No more soy meat. More frequent haircuts. Cleaning will be done by a company, not, not the geo guards. But that's going to take one to two months to hire a company. They're going to clean the bathroom, the showers, etc. Um, they're going to finally have access to medical. They said in F3 that people finally got to go to the medical unit. And some people will be referred to the dentist, although supposedly there's a dentist in there. Um, they they will be also given, they will be given new shoes and they will rotate them. I don't know what that means, rotate the shoes. They, they were given new towels and that they will fix the family visitation because right now it's a mess, that schedule to, for families to visit. But also the problem is that there's still a lot of COVID in there. So people are placed in quarantine, which is not supposed to happen anymore when you don't have symptoms. Yet people are placed in quarantine. And when loved ones come to visit, they're not allowed to visit them. And the schedule, you know, you you, you only have like, like an example is you can go on a Wednesday at seven in the morning or, or Sunday at seven in the evening. Those are your, your only two options to visit your loved one. And if you come from afar, which is mainly... You know, the, the vast majority of people in detention are not from Washington. They're from other states. People come from, re like, we met a family from Florida the other day that we were out there in the evening. They came to visit from Florida just for one night. And then they were leaving the next day. So G3 told us that um, they have not seen any of those changes. They got the promise that they will change it. They uh, uh, G2 told us just today that they they were didn't receive any visits either. They just got uh, the Captain Portillo say, bringing three different menus for people to vote on which menu they want, but they have not seen absolutely any changes. Yet, we heard from Representative, uh, Representative Adam Smith's office, uh, one of our federal um, uh, representatives, that I had called saying, you know, we're making all these changes that sounded really good. And I explained to them, yeah, in one unit. Yeah, at the time that F3 unit was receiving a visit from ICE to have breakfast together, we got a call from the um, women's section saying breakfast was late, small portions, horrible food. And when we complained, the guards told us they ran out of food. So the total opposite of what ICE was trying to portray to F3 was happening in the women's section. So 
you know, it's a win. People are excited in F3 and G3. They're really excited about this and we, we celebrate with them. But nobody should go on hunger strike or get pepper spray to get new shoes or to get food on time or to get towels. Um, and so, but it shows at the end also, I think that but you and I feel cornered because of the, all the, the amazing organizing that people are doing and the amazing response in the outside to create enough public pressure on them to, to have something. You know, like last year in May, when they did this, these two units too, they didn't really get a lot of changes or were minimal, minimum changes that didn't last. And this time it seems it was a, a little bit better and the victory seems a little bit um, more real than last year. But again, you know, no one should have to do this in order to get just basic human services. Absolutely. Yeah. And so just to quickly clarify two points, um, the they use a chemical agent in an enclosed space. And what I read online is that they, there was so much of it that it coated the walls. Um, is that something you can confirm? And just one other point is that the is is part of the demand around the cleaning that the cleaning used to be a waged job given um, to detainees and now they're being forced to do it for free and that's why that's one of the things about that demand yes um so yeah definitely so people in f3 told us that they could see uh the windows of f4 covering yellow um and as people were try were moved from uh the pod in F4 to solitary, they also say that they could see at when they were able to see what they could distinguish. First they distinguished the different colors, then obviously they felt the purple spray throughout all their body and their in their um uh their system, their organs, you know, as they were breathing and even they they someone described even their stomach hurting. Um but when they were able to kind of visualize the pod, they would say that everything looked in yellow, like the the the, the windows were covered in yellow. Um, and in G four again, the the fact that people fainted that tells you that the amount and even in the opposite side of this, there's another unit C three, which is the women's unit. They felt the pepper spray there too. So there was there was so much gas used that it spread throughout the the, the facility. Um, and this is, again, it's a 2,000 people facility. It's a huge facility. Um, you know, precisely because in October 2021, GEO lost the minimum wage lawsuit. Um, they're supposed to pay anybody that works there, papers or not papers, detained or not detained, whoever works need to be paid the minimum wage as Washington State had set it up. Instead, what they did is to end the volunteer work program which during the trial, they were saying that it was important, it was necessary, people needed it, and GEO needed it. Yet when they lost, they finished that program. And so that really worsened the entire um, conditions because who was cleaning now? Who was running the kitchen? Who was running the laundry? And so that's why we started seeing how everything degraded so much in the tension. And it got to a point... Uh, a couple of weeks ago, when a couple, uh, maybe two to three people told us that they were forced to clean the ceiling lamps in their unit in exchange to use the Xbox that is provided to them as entertainment. Uh, and we are certain that maybe other kind of uh, 
forced labor has happened. Just that the problem is that there's also a lot of new people that don't know about the minimum wage. And uh, we're not in touch with absolutely everyone in there. And so we assume that there's been this kind of uh, coercion into working. Um, and so when these people told us about the ceiling lamps, we were like, how long did you work? And they're like, oh, maybe 15 minutes. And I was like, yeah. So that's that's still money. Because right now, our minimum wage is $15.75 per hour. So do the math. You need your money. They should pay you for that. Um, but yet, uh, so they're being coerced. And so the demands included to bring back the minimum wage program because there's nothing to do in there. There's no programming. There's absolutely nothing. And with this idea of contraband, uh, GEO is removing a lot of items that they could use to create crafts, for example. And um, F4 was telling us that they want those crafts back. They want arts like they would like to have paper to do origami and that kind of thing. And it's very limited what they're able to do just to pass the time. Got it. Thanks so much. Um, so as you were saying, you know, this is an example. This, you know, seems uh, like it's been a successful action. Um, what What do you think was key in in turning it into a win? Uh, well, first of all, always, always, we need to thank the sacrifice of people in attention. You know, they they're the ones that decide to run with all the risks. Nobody faces the risk that they face. Nobody. Um, I know one of them that the one that was sent to 45 days was very, very depressed the other day. He was saying this was worth nothing. We didn't get anything. I'm going to be here 45 days without talking to no one. They even denied my communications with family. But we were able to to talk to him and, and also send him a visit. And we hope that that will help. We still need to report to him everything else because we haven't been able to talk to him but, but once since this, this happened. So that's definitely something that we always want to put uh, as the top of, of, of everything is the people in detention and they're, they're amazing, uh, you know, being so brave. Um, I don't know how to say it in English, but just being so brave. That's something that we always are amazed by. Um, and second, they trust us. They trust Resistencia to be sure that as they call us, we're going to follow up. We're going to do something. We're going to mobilize. People listen to us, right? And we're able to, to mobilize publicly and politically. And so having, obviously, the, the first thing they say is call media. They always tell us, call media, right? And so that's the first thing we do. Every time we find out a hunger strike is happening, a press release needs to go out. But we also need to be outside the tension. And I think that when we were out there every night since the hunger strike started, and we were able to do video calls, for them to see people outside, it was rainy, it was cold, people that seemed that have nothing to do with this, yet they care about this, it really lifted their spirits. So on Saturday, when we had a big crowd showing up, um, some people were crying uh, on camera. They were saying, thank you. It was th thanks to us that ICE came to negotiate with us. It was because of all the pressure you 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 made. And it's true, you know, in Paris, I mean, it's, I credit it all to them, but definitely when people start making the calls, they start sending the emails, they start sharing in, in social media, it does have a huge impact. P people have no idea until they come and do this kind of work, they will get a sense of how important it is. Just even one share, one call, one email, it's huge. Uh, and when people were telling us, 
they changed the number or, you know, this number is disconnected, this email bounced, great. That means it's working because they get angry that they get so many calls that or so many emails that they deactivate those. Uh, we also have, you know, the fact that we have two bills in the in the legislature right now, in the state legislature that have to do with, with detention conditions and with uh, stopping the transfer between prisons, Washington prisons and ICE. Uh, we had already started this work for some time and people knowing their solutions at a state level. I think that also helped mobilize even more uh, because, you know, some people believe it should be done this way. It should be done that way. We believe it should be done always, <laughs> all forms. We need everything to be able to win. So being able to mobilize different communities, different spaces at different levels. Um, I mean, sadly, we have too much experience on this. We know what we're doing for so many years. I think also eyes fell corner. That's why they reacted so violently. Um, they, they, they hate when people go hung hunger strike. And I'm pretty sure they hate to see people so strong all of the sudden to say, no, we say no, we say no to you. And they're not used to that. Absolutely. Yeah. And I, I want to pick up on that. Um, the idea that, you know, ice feeling the heat feeling cornered. Um, that's something you've mentioned a couple of times. Where, where do you kind of, where do you think, where do you see the anti-detention movement being at nationally or regionally? Uh, what do you think we should be, thinking about how can we increase the pressure and increase that that feeling of of being cornered i think that um the local movements are the, the always the the answer i mean we just had the recent win in 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 berks county in philadelphia where they closed that not only ended that contract but they shut down that place it's empty now you know the no more women are detained there um there's been a lot of places where it has been uh, victories have happened because of local movements. We, at federal level, we have nothing. We definitely, I mean, it's a waste of time at federal level. Biden is, has been worse than a disappointment. You know, he's just another Trump to us in regards to immigration. Um, so being able to mobilize a state level and local level has proven to be much, much more effective. ICE is untouchable at federal level, but they cannot act the same way in a local level. We have ways to 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 prevent a lot of damage and we're able to kind of stop their 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 activities you know mess with their machine but also in regards to private detention we're able to to stop a lot of the things they're doing i think at the end of the day it would be good for those of us that work in regards to private detention to make it impossible for them to continue operating in our states we we want to make it expensive for them to work here and I know a lot of people say they're just moved to another state. Well, well, let's kick them out of that state. You know, a lot of people have done it. People have done like in Wyoming, in other states, they have prevented uh, many detention centers from opening. So I think we just need to continue doing our work at local level. And also, I think I would recommend everybody that does this kind of work to not be so elitist and trying to use language that our people don't understand. Like even when people say, oh, you're abolitionist. And if you ask our members, they're going to say, what? <laughs> yes, we're abolitionists. We don't believe in, in prisons. We don't believe in borders. But more than anything, we're just people. And we speak like, like our people and act like, like our people. And that's why when we do political education and we say we need to shut down the detention center, that's the language we use, right? We say nobody should be in here. And we don't need to use fancy academic language to, 
to do that. And I think that's why the resistencia has been so successful in mobilizing, not only outside, but inside, because people do, we understand each other. Mm, wonderful. Thank you so much for sharing, sharing that and sharing those insights. Uh, for people who uh, maybe are interested in getting involved or in following you all, how, how can they do that? Well, we have social media presence in TikTok and uh, YouTube, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, but yeah, we have our website and with La Resistencia NW for Northwest. And it's it's important that people uh you know share our, our calls to actions. We're gonna have more. We sometimes we are not able to keep up with so many things happening at the attention center and having to send press releases, posts in social media. Uh so we ask people for a little bit of patience, but there's always something to do. And if people take a look at our social media pages, they will see there's a lot of stuff that they can help us with. This has been KiteLine. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. KiteLine, WFHB, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions expressed on the show. Thank you for listening.